0: All right, kiddos, you guys, come on down here. Meet Janna down at the front. Okay, Come on down. Come on, down. Jenna, you got help? There we go. Hey. Okay, Ooh. If you got a Bible, you can open up to Exodus chapter twenty. Um, while, they're there, uh, uh, while you're turning there, while you're turning there, you guys give the band a, a round of applause. They did a good job leading us this morning. Thankful for them. Okay. All right, Exodus chapter twenty. Let's just start in verse one. but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for all you've given us. Thank you so much uh, that we could gather this Sunday uh, as a body of believers. Uh, Father, thank you that we can sing to you and make much of the name of Jesus. Uh, I pray today that as we look at... The third commandment, I pray that you would press on all of us, because there's not a one of us who gets to walk out of here today and say, done this one, kept it perfectly. Uh, we all break this one in some way or some form, and so uh, I pray that you would um, press us with the weight of the name of Jesus and what that means, uh, and that, Father, we would also look to Jesus um, as our Savior, Father. The Lord, whose name we have taken in vain, came and he substituted himself for lawbreakers like us, and so I pray uh, that we would see the gospel clearly today uh, through this text of scripture, and it's in your name we pray, amen. So by way of review, if you remember, um, we've had 19 chapters of nothing but grace upon grace upon grace before God gets to one chapter of law found in Exodus chapter 20, and even before he gets to the law, what does he do? He gives them the preamble where he reminds them, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who saved you from slavery. You didn't do that. You didn't ask me to do that. I did that. That was all me, okay? I saved you. It was all grace. And now because of my grace to you, I want you to obey me. I want you to find your joy in the things that bring me joy. And so he begins to give us the Ten Commandments. And what we said is that commandment 1 is there is one god, he's the only god and he's the only god that we worship. He isn't first on the list, he is the list. He's the hub in which everything in our lives revolve around. God does not want any competitors with his name. So if commandment is one, if commandment 1 is there is only one god, commandment 2 that we looked at last week is we better make sure we worship him correctly. God is concerned about how he is worshipped. So we need to make sure that we aren't fashioning an image to worship him through. There's one mediator, Jesus Christ, who stands between us and God. He's our go-between. So we have to be careful that we don't put priority on the visual over the verbal. And so what we said is the church building, creation, a pastor can't bring you any closer to God than Jesus has already brought you. And so we make sure that we're worshiping God correctly. Now, I went to a Christian college, all right? And if if you didn't go to a Christian college, there's a lot of weird about a Christian college. A lot of weird, okay? Don't get me wrong, received a great education, thankful for the environment that I went to, but there's a lot of weird. I I think you get a lot of uh, churchy, home groupy Christians Uh, And then even there was a lot of Eastern New Mexico people, too, in Wayland. That may have been some of it. You put them all together, man, and you get some bizarre things that take place at that school, right? If you went to like a state school, I promise you my experience was nothing like yours. One of the weird things that happens is a thing called Christian cussing. Okay, and I'll explain to you what Christian cussing is. There were all kinds of words that were said as replacement for cuss words, so you could walk through the dorm and listen to guys playing Halo on Xbox and things like that, and constantly you would hear the word she being said over and over again, and it was not referring to a female, it was a substitute for, you know, that, that SH word. I had a friend who, who always said, what the hell's bells? That was his way of getting around it. There's any number of words used for the F-bomb, Okay. I heard a pastor talk about a roommate he had at a Christian school that would get angry and say things like ham sandwich or peanut butter when he was worried. He'd go, oh, peanut butter. And that was his excuse for, for cussing. Now bring up cussing for one reason. I guarantee you most of you have been taught that the third commandment is about cussing. And so you've kind of been told that as long as you don't cuss and as long as God's name or Jesus' name isn't in there as a a cuss word, then check that one off. The list is completed. You did your duty. I've actually kept that one. And probably every one of you have a story of using the Lord's name as a cuss word and and paying for it. I remember falling down one time at church when I was a little kid and going, ah, Jesus. My grandmother made sure I never forgot the taste of dove soap, right? Right? I can still taste that bar sitting on the toilet. I sat there for a very long time. See, see that, this commandment isn't that simple when it comes to cussing. Mark Driscoll puts it this way. He says, it's not that simple because we use bad words for bad things and good words for good things, and we cause problems when we use good words for bad things or bad words for good things. That's why Isaiah says in chapter 5, verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So bad words for bad things, good words for good things. Sometimes bad words are required. Right? There was an old story about a pastor named E.V. Hill who took one of his deacons fishing with him. The deacon reels in a big fish, and as he's, as he's bringing him in, the fish breaks and gets away, and the deacon starts cussing. Well, Pastor E.V. chastises the deacon for cussing. About an hour later, E.V. hooks a big fish. He's reeling him in. Fish breaks off the line, gets away. E.V. looks at the deacon and goes, well, deacon... Something needs to be said. (laughs) Bad words for bad things. Good words for good things. Now, it's not an argument to say you can have a potty mouth. All right? I see all the kids going, all right? It's not what we're saying. But the Bible itself has some very strong language. The book of Isaiah, very strong language. Don't turn there now, but if you go to Ezekiel chapter 23, it's so lewd that HBO might run it after hours. Amos calls a group of women cows of Bashan. So if you're looking for a lady's Bible study name, there you go. It's a joke. Jesus tells the Pharisees that their mothers slept with the devil. Little mama joke. Jesus calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers, which would be the equivalent of S-O-B in our day and age. Don't even talk about Paul. What's he saying in the book of Philippians? He counts all that he has lost as dung, so that he might know Christ. That is not the word poopy or "duty." In Galatians, he tells a group of people to cut off an appendage. The point is, the Bible uses some very strong language. And as Driscoll said, we should use bad words for bad things and good words for good things. So when somebody cheats on their spouse, we don't say, well, they had an affair. No, they committed adultery, right? When somebody does something wrong, we don't say, well, it was just a minor indiscretion. Well, no, they did something stupid. Bad words for bad things, good words for good things. See, this commandment is about so much more than saying good, clean words. It is a part of it. And as Christians, we should be mindful of the words we speak. Listen, you don't want to round around cussing all the time. You've been around that person. They sound like idiots. We don't want to sound like idiots, right? So let's just look at the third commandment, and let's see if we can kind of get to the heart of what the Lord is saying to us in Exodus chapter 20. Look at verse 7 again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So if you've got um, your Bible, underline the, ne- uh, the name of the Lord in vain. Underline the word vain. Or if you have an NIV, I think the word is misused there. The command, if you're reading it in the Hebrew, it literally reads, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness. So you should not make the name of the Lord nothing. And what God's calling a special attention to is his special name. His special name, Yahweh, or Lord. That, that's where the emphasis is at. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Moses meets the Lord for the first time, and God says to him, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. If you remember, God's name literally means I be who I be. That name speaks of God's self-existence, that God has always been. He's self-sufficient. He is sovereign over all. No one names God, is what he's saying. And as the exodus is unfolded, the people are starting to also learn that his name means the one who saves. Later on, and and this is what Jay read earlier in Exodus chapter 33, we're going to get this exchange on Mount Sinai between Moses and the Lord. And in Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 8, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children through the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So Moses says, God, show me your glory. And how does God reveal his glory to Moses? By speaking his name. His name Yahweh is more than a name. It is who he is. It's his identity. And see, we don't get that as Westerners. Our name's just a label, right? And we'll say things like, oh, well, you're more than your name, or, or that's not who you are, or you don't want to live up to your name, or live up to your name, or whatever. We, we, we say things like that, but for Hebrews, the name was inseparable from the person. It expressed a person's inward identity. So, so from fi- time to time, what do we say at church? Boy, we had a lot of new faces here today. And what we mean is that there were new people here today. It doesn't mean that the face was disconnected from the body or that that the face was, was just floating there. It means that the face was part of the whole. It's just saying that we had new people. It's the same with God. See, his name can't be separated from his identity. His name is who he is. And also, this command does not mean that we can't lift up the name of the Lord. There's this common misunderstanding that the Hebrews never said God's name or even wrote it down. Now, some Orthodox Jews did. They took this commandment to the extreme because they were so afraid of misusing it. But check this out. God wants you and I to lift up his name. In fact, in the Old Testament, the name Yahweh is used over 7,000 times. That sounds like the name of somebody who, that sounds like somebody wants their name said. All right, so, so what does the commandment mean then? So understand, every commandment has two sides. So don't commit adultery. The flip side, stay faithful to your spouse. Don't covet your neighbor's good. The flip side, celebrate the grace of God in the lives of other people without getting jealous. So don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What's the flip side? Jesus tells us, Joe read it this morning, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So hallowed means holy respected, revered, honored. See, that's the opposite of taking God's name in vain. So how do we take God's name in vain then? If it's more than cussing, how do we do it? Well, a lot of scholars will tell you that there's three to four ways that we do this, all right? Mark Driscoll says there's four, and I used his examples because they're a little bit more street slang, right? We can understand them a little better than this Dutch guy I was reading, and I was like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. I didn't go to seminary, I'm not that smart, all right? So the first way is this. Number one is false promises. False promises. So the term lift up God's name was used in legal situations to refer to the taking of an oath. So Jesus picks up on the third commandment in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 35, where he says this again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. For it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So, so in Jesus' day, what they would do in order to avoid taking the Lord's name in vain, they'd be like, well, I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by the king's throne. And what Jesus is saying is like, hey man, when you're doing that, that the Jerusalem, that's God's city, so you're still taking God's name in vain when you do that. So an oath for us would include a vow or a promise. So if you're a Christian and you give your word, it's a form of an oath. It's a promise, right? You're an image bearer of the king, so you're giving your word, and so your yes needs to be yes, and your no needs to be no. When we get married, we take vows in front of witnesses, and those vows don't say, well, if things go good, then I guess I'll do this, and if they don't, well, then I'm not going to do that. No, our vows are a promise saying, for better or worse, rich or poor, this is what I'm going to do. It's the same thing used when we go to court. If you've ever had to go to court and you take the stand, what do they make you do? Swear on a Bible, right? That you're going to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so when we go and we lie, we're taking the Lord's name in vain, right? Every politician, God bless them, what do they do when they're sworn in? Put their hand on a Bible, right? Like they're really reading that thing every day, but still, they do it. We make false promises when we say things like, I swear to God, or as God is my witness. Or, or maybe when you were a little kid, you would say, I swear on a stack of Bibles, right? So, simply put, we take the name of the Lord in vain when we invoke God's name saying we will do something or we'll tell the truth and then we don't do it, right? That, that's the first way. It's using God's name to confirm what is false rather than what is true. So that's the first one, false promises. The second one, the second way we take the Lord's name in vain is, is through false prophecies. So in Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14, it says, "...and the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds." So in the Old Testament, if a prophet came and he said, thus saith the Lord, when they said that, it meant my words are God's words. But right here in Jeremiah, what's going on is God's saying, hey man, listen, there's all these guys out there running around saying things I never told them to say. They're making stuff up. That's a false prophecy. So you ask, does that still happen today? (laughs) Please. All the time. All the time. There's a lot of profit to be made and peddling words that Jesus never said. Amen? A lot of men throughout the years have gotten unbelievably wealthy by peddling false promises. Right? Do you all remember back in April, just as the Rona thing was really hitting, and our boy down in Dallas, Kenneth Copeland, what did he do? If you remember that clip, he blew the corona away. He got right up the camera and went, <sighs> God said, be gone. Well, how did that work out for Ken? It didn't go away. See, that's a false prophecy, right? This also includes false doctrine. It includes false teaching. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses three and four, Paul says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So so what this means is false prophecy could be predictive prophecy about the future. If you've been a Christian long enough, you've probably sat in a church service where somebody gave you an end-of-the-world prophecy, right? You've heard them. Jesus says what about the end of the world? Nobody knows the day and the hour of my coming. But yet there's always some guy going, I do, I do, I do. Saw the dude this morning on Facebook. He's preaching a series right now. He's got a new book out. Okay, going to make some money on that new book. He's got it all figured out, ladies and gentlemen. He knows when he's coming back. And he had the newspaper articles to prove it. Probably the number one way we do this is when someone comes up to you and says, the Lord told me. How many of you are guilty of this one? I mean, I'll be honest. I got out of a few relationships with some ladies with this one, right? Listen, the Lord told me I didn't really need a girlfriend right now. Y'all never did that one? I'm a bigger jerk than I thought I was. <laughs> Just confirming it to some of y'all now. All right. Listen to what Philip Reichen says. He says, Some Christians say the Lord told me to do this, or worse, they say the Lord told me to tell you to do this. This is false prophecy. God has already said whatever he needs to say to us in his word. Of course... There's an inward leading of the Holy Spirit, but this is only an inward leading and should not be misrepresented as an authoritative word from God. So when you say this is what God said or God wanted me to tell you, listen, folks, I'm trying to help you. That word better be followed by something from the scripture. He's already spoken. But if you ever say the Lord told me to tell you this and it doesn't have scripture or it supersedes scripture or it's in addition to a scripture, you're ascribing the name of God to your own words, plans, or ideas. And in doing that, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain. As I was studying this, I I read uh, an illustration where a guy talked about he had a guy come up and make a predictive prophecy over his life that he would um, die before the age of 13 when he was a little kid. And I mean, you scared him to death. And he said, you know, looking back on it now, that guy didn't cite one verse of Scripture to tell me anything. He just came and said, the Lord told me to tell you this. we got to be very, very careful when we do things like that, okay? So false promises, false prophecies. And the third way we take the Lord's name in vain is through false pretenses. Well, the scariest verses of Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, it means in the end, there'll be a whole lot of people that do a lot of things in God's name, but it wasn't for God's name. They do a lot of things in God's name, but it wasn't for God's name. So when you're using God's name a lot, but your works are incongruent with your life. And listen, I'm not talking about a believer struggling to live a consistent life by God's grace. Not what I'm talking about, okay? We all struggle with that at times. But someone who says, Lord, Lord, all the time, and all their words are betrayed by their works you're pretending to be one of God's people when you're not one of God's people because it benefits you. This is a person who wants all the benefits of the name of God, but they don't want any of the commitments. Right? Great example. We're going to go home, some of you, not all of you, but some of you are going to go home and watch football this afternoon. And there's going to be some athlete that after the game is going to be like... All glory to God. But when they say all glory to God in the interview, but then their lifestyle betrays what they're saying on television, that's what we're talking about, right? They say it because it looks good. They say it because it appears humble. In this day and age, you want to say anything and everything you can to help build a brand, but then their lifestyle betrays what they just said, right? We're in an election year. Politicians evoke the name of God all the time, don't they? All of them. Politicians do this. Stephen Carter says, "...few candidates for office are unable to end their speeches without asking God to bless their audience or the nation or the great work we are undertaking, but everybody is sure that the other side is insincere." God's will is cited as a reason to be against gay rights and a reason to be for them. God has said not to tolerate poverty or abortion or nuclear weapons. Everybody wants to change America and everybody who wants to understands the nation's love affair with God's name, which is why everybody invokes it. And does the Bible condemn some of those things I just read about? Yes and amen, absolutely. But remember, for all of us over here on our side that say, hey, the Bible speaks against homosexuality, there are so many so-called Christians on the other side that will say, well, the Bible never says it's wrong either. Do you see where I'm going with that? Right. I I read a speech from a politician the other day who uh, spoke at Planned Parenthood, and at the end of his speech, what did he say? God bless you, and God bless Planned Parenthood. think you're talking to the wrong guy there. I don't think God blesses the killing of children. See, they all do it. They all do it. So false pretenses is the third way. And then fourth way is through false platitudes. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Big word here is, is profane. So, so the God of the Bible is a God of glory. It means he's weighty. That means he's heavy. That means he's preeminent. He's significant. And to profane him is when we treat him lightly, inconsequentially, and we make light of him. So, it's using God's name in a way that doesn't matter, right? It's using God's name in a way that doesn't make him big, but makes him small, right? So, here we go. This is where we're all guilty. Thank God it's Friday. Praise the Lord we're having steak for dinner. Right? Lord have mercy, child. This morning, my wife wrote me a ticket, third commandment violation. Talking to one of my kids, and I went, good Lord. Thank the Lord he caught the ball. Thank you, Jesus, we won the game. Social media texting. Anybody? OMG. I meant, oh my goodness, pastor. Sure. Peanut butter. Mm -hmm. You hit your hand with a hammer. What do you say? Jesus H. Christ or, or whatever it is. See, false platitudes... Shakespeare and Hamlet talked about this. Our main character says, My words fly up, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. So when I was in school before we played a football game, what would we do? Huddle up and what did we say? The Lord's Prayer. That's a false platitude, folks. We're saying words, but they mean nothing to us. We're saying, hallowed be your name. And I remember how football went. There's not a lot of hallowing the Lord's name when you're in the heat of battle, right? Right? It's okay. You can laugh. There's just not. Now, I'm not saying don't pray before a game. not saying that at all. I don't think there's anything wrong with a player or a coach saying, hey, Lord, watch out. Protect our players. Protect the other team. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But to go out and say the Lord's Prayer, which has nothing to do with the game of football, it's a false platitude, Right? When we come to worship on Sunday and we worship in a casual, careless, and insincere way, when we do this, we dishonor the name of the Lord. See, God says, Don't use my name in vain. Because if you do, I'll hold whoever does guilty. See, this is so much more serious when you think about it than just letting a cuss word fly every now and then, isn't it? This is giving enormous weight to the name of the Lord our God. And see, at this point in in, in our story of Exodus, the people are are at the base of Mount Sinai. They're meeting God, right? They're seeing him displayed in all of his glory. What's going to happen is that thousands of years later, God is going to come to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 8, a group of people are going to gather around Jesus and they are like, hey, man, who are you? I mean, what in the world are you doing here? Who are you? And in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. See what he just did there? He said, hey, you guys, you guys know your Bibles. Remember that story back in Exodus 3 when I showed myself to Moses? And what did I say? I said, I am. So yeah, you may have heard of me. Listen, boys, I am God. I am the God who spoke everything into existence. I am And they tried to kill him after this incident. They tried to push him to the edge of the cliff and push him off. And Jesus walked right through him because it wasn't his time. But the whole reason they killed Jesus was that he claimed to be God. But see, three days later, he rose again. And today, Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. Jesus didn't violate the first commandment. He's the only God. Jesus didn't violate the second commandment. He never sinned and he always worshiped correctly. He didn't violate the third commandment because he never said anything that was untruthful about himself. And see, that's good news for every one of us in this room, isn't it? Not one of us gets to walk out of here today and go, killed it on the third commandment, man. I've kept that one perfectly. You have it and I haven't. Some of you maybe have kept it better than others, but you've broken it. And the Bible says that God will hold us guilty, but thankfully, we have Jesus. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, We all deserve punishment. But see, Jesus comes as the Lord whose name we've taken in vain. He goes to the cross and he substitutes himself and he suffers and he dies for our sins. He substitutes himself and he dies for all the times that we've taken his name in vain. He dies for our breaking of the third commandment. And as he's dying, what does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, that's why we talk about Jesus That's why we sing about Jesus. That's why we want to hold Jesus' name up with reverence. That's why we never want to flippantly speak the name of Jesus. We don't need to be punished because Jesus has taken our punishment. That's good news. So listen, Christians, the way that we can honor the name of Jesus is we need to make Jesus bigger in our lives. And as we do that, here's what happens. We become smaller. We become smaller, and the smaller we get, the happier we get. When we realize that we're not that big, not that important, not that awesome, that's a very, very freeing thing for all of us to understand. And the way you do that is by lifting up the name of Jesus, by hallowing it, by holding it up as revered and honored. We're all trying to get people to pay attention to us. Guys, we're not that important. Jesus is. So let's make a big deal about him and put him where he needs to be. And finally, what I would say is this, is that if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, will you bend your knee to Jesus today? Because the reality is this, is that you will bend your knee to Jesus one day. You will either bend your knee to Jesus in this life and enter into eternity with him, or you will bend your knee on the final judgment and enter into eternity in hell. If you bend your knee to Jesus today, you're forgiven. And if you wait until the day of judgment, you won't be. See, that's what Paul means when he says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord for the glory of God the Father. That ultimately it's all for the fame and the name of the God who saves. So if you're not a Christian, listen to me, you're in trouble today. And I invite you to trust in Jesus for salvation. I invite you to bend your knee to Him today and allow Him to save you and to change you and enter into eternal life with Him forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word. Father, I I, I thank you for the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the forgiveness that, that, that is extended to all of us who have violated and broken the third commandment. Father, we all have areas of our lives where we flippantly, casually take your name in vain. And I thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ to suffer and die for our sins, to substitute himself, to forgive third commandment violators like us. And so, Father, for all of my brothers and sisters in this room today, I pray that today that that, that we would understand the way that we honor the name of Jesus is to make Jesus a big deal in our lives and to lift him up, to give him and his name the weight it deserves. And so I pray that we would do that today, that we would make much of him. I pray for each and every person in here that doesn't know you today, and that today would be the day of salvation, that today they would bend the knee to Jesus saying, my sins, there are many, but his mercy is so much more. In that maybe that, that, that today they have came in here and they didn't know you, but something has changed in the last few minutes as the gospel has been proclaimed and preached. And they would not leave here today until they grab a friend or they come and see Joe or myself and just say, hey, today Jesus has saved me and changed my life. Father, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for the name of Jesus. I pray that we would hallow it and show it the reverence it deserves. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would